Hello and welcome back to HB's Off the Record. My name is Enna. And my name is Joe. And this is episode four, and it's time for something a little bit different. So when we started this podcast, we said we wanted to interview AHPs from all different stages of their career, and we think that we might have done that this time. Exactly. Our last two guests have been in in leadership roles. Um, So in comparison, our next guest today is quite early on into her career. We're particularly excited as today we have a fellow podcaster who is also a speech and language therapist. So we've got Ilya Nardi joining us today. Ilya, do you mind introducing yourself to everyone? Yeah. Um, Hi, my name is Ilya. I'm a speech and language therapist. I'm a band five and I qualified last year. So I've been working for just over a year now. Love that. As we normally do earlier, I've been tasked this time with doing the spiel about what speech and language therapy is. Um, good <laughs> yeah, good luck. I know. Um, sorry. Yeah, bear with me. To be fair, most of this I got off the Royal College of Speech and Language Therapy website, so I'm hoping that that's okay. I mean, you would have liked to think that it was. Um, so yeah, here's my little definition of what speech and language therapists um, do. So speech and language therapists provide treatment, support and care for children and adults who have difficulties with communication or with eating, drinking and swallowing. Speech and language therapists work in both the acute and community settings on intensive care units, wards, private practice and in schools. Um, I even went a little bit nerdier and even got some facts. Oh, Hannah. Hannah. <laughs> now for this one okay cool so the first was approximately 80 percent of children with emotional and behavioral disorders have significant language deficits which again like most of these facts i was just like no way okay and the next one was 40 percent of stroke survivors will initially experience some difficulty swallowing if left untreated swallowing difficulties can result in pneumonia increased hospital admission and lengthier stays in hospital and then the last fact was up to 80 percent of people with learning disability have a communication need um so i think that hopefully paints a bit of a picture for everybody in terms of how much um, speech and language therapists are needed. Yeah, and those are really great facts that you found because I think a lot of people don't really know what speech, ther- speech therapists do generally. Um, but that is just, yeah, those figures and stats show how diverse the speech therapy work is and how necessary it is. Um, but it doesn't really get as much clout as a lot of the other allied health professions, I think. I love that clout. It's so true. <laughs> That's like hopefully I, what we're trying to do, change that a little bit, is with, especially with these podcasts, is to get professions that aren't necessarily, um, especially well, an allied health professions that aren't in the forefront, get them a little yeah. bit more recognised and people understanding exactly what what they do. Yeah. Exactly. I feel yeah. like even, even allied health professionals don't often know exactly what other allied health professionals do. So exactly. there's obviously such a... Because we all work so closely together, like in this field that we work in we always have MDT stuff together but we still actually are not sure oh what is that person's role what does an OT do what does what is that physio's role in my patient's care like so I think what you guys are doing about bringing all of these AHPs together and highlighting all the different fields that they work in is just really important as well for us but for people listening as well who might not know what their AHPs who work with them are doing either exactly So, Ilya, I've got the first question. What we would really love to know is how you got into speech and language therapy. Yeah, so I honestly <laughs> sort of accidentally ended up into speech therapy. It, it wasn't a planned route. I didn't like wake up one day and think, you know what, that's the career for me. <laughs> so I grew up I grew up surrounded by like lots of languages. My parents are from um, mixed backgrounds and uh, between them, I think there's like five languages in my family is going around constantly so I always had this interest in languages and um, culture and diversity and then I took that to then study linguistics at an undergraduate level at SOAS University Um, and then it was sort of towards my final year of my undergrad where it was like so what can you do with a linguistics degree like you know a lot of my Mm. classmates were becoming journalists or going into marketing and there were and then there were a few people who were like you know linguistics apply that clinically we're gonna go for a speech therapy route I honestly had no idea um what a speech therapist did I had never interacted with one before um I kind of looked into it the course I found out that the NHS would uh 
fund the tuition fee for it so that was another motivator for me Mm -hmm. like yeah (laughs) I completely just thought you know what like I don't know what I want to do yet let me go and do this postgraduate course which will be paid for basically let's see what happens um yeah stumbled into it honestly I just stumbled into it ended up and then luckily first week or so that I was there I was like I'm obsessed this is amazing Mm. the people who are in my class are amazing my 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 tutors are all and my teachers are all incredible I learned more and more about the sort of scope of speech therapy and I was like this is like I found I found where I'm meant to be so it was just really lucky that I ended up there but it all stemmed from just my like really diverse linguistic upbringing and using those skills finding out that those skills can be applied in a sort of clinical um clinical way I mean I always had an interest in going into healthcare anyway um so it just all worked out really well did you do any work experience before before applying for the course or not really so well not work experience directly related to like shadowing a a speech therapist or working in a special needs school I did have so my mum runs a supplementary Muslim school on a Sunday where we teach like Islamic studies in Arabic Mm -hmm. Um, and so I sort of grew up with the school and I sort of teaching assisted there a lot um so that was kind of my exposure to working with children um I also was involved with lots of like charities and like community projects growing up like so I'm from northwest London and we had all of these sort of like uh community projects happening like bunch of school stuff um and so engaging in the community they'd always take you you know go to to a care home and you know broaden mm. your experiences broaden the people that you are communicating and learning from and and um, we my high school had a partnership with uh, a special school that was in the area that we used to go like a couple of times a month and we'd do some activities with the students there so it wasn't like I had a work experience but I had that's life experience yeah, yeah I'd had given had opportunities to be exposed to pretty much a broad range of a speech therapy caseload um without even knowing it so I just started to put two and two together and was like oh like I can do this and actually be a therapist and do these skills and uh you know incorporate all of these you know advantages that I have with linguistics and you know clinical and all of that kind of stuff so yeah again it was all sort of I tripped and fell but luckily on my feet it's really interesting (laughs) because the people that like so far the people that we've interviewed everyone's kind of stumbled onto these professions yeah. like in weird ways whether they've known somebody that's their profession or they've done a previous degree I think most of the people that we've talked to actually have done a previous degree yeah. or done something else first and then been like actually that's really applicable for yeah. this AHP profession um which yeah, I think is really nice of, actually yeah I think a lot of people at 18 when you're deciding what you want to do at uni to then think oh I'm going to do the undergraduate physiotherapy course or speech therapy course it, it feels almost limiting I think at 18 you feel like you know you're doing an undergraduate where that's your job now um, mm. so I think that's probably the main reason why a lot of people end up doing it after getting a lot of experience first um, but I also think again like we were talking about earlier is just like the lack of exposure I think when you think I want to go into a clinical or medical career you're thinking doctor dentist nurse um, yeah. like to like who knows what an occupational therapist at 16 when you're yeah. deciding that you know you know <clears throat> sorry you know that you want to go into something in a hospital like maybe that's your dream setting to work in but what is it that you are shown on tv or when you're going for appointments and stuff you're only you're only kind of really interacting with that unless you have had experience with that specialist service that's kind of how we ended up sort of first getting into our page as well, our Facebook page, because yeah. there was so much sort of in, in the, the midst of everything that was happening, there was so much information about the doctors and nurses and, and what they were doing exactly. in the start of the pandemic, but really nothing about about yes. allied health professions or, or anyone else. Yeah, It's interesting what you said about um, it being a bit of a, you know, being 18 and, and going into a, a uni course that is mm-hmm. going to be your profession, because... For me, I did. I, I went straight to a physio undergrad. And oh, actually, yeah. that was one of my um, reasons for doing it, because I was thinking, well, you know, I could go to go to uni and do biology or geography. But then what am I going to yeah. do? And I thought, well, actually, you know, yeah. if I if I do physio, then I've, I've got a, a path. But it's it's interesting to yeah. hear that from from another. Well, you are a very wise 16 year old, because <laughs> for me and most of my peers, I can imagine we're just kind of like, 
oh, I just want to go uni for the sake of going to uni. Like the thought of being restricted down to a career like that. But that was also a time where, I mean, now it costs, it's so expensive to go to uni. Mm -hmm. Like I would, I really would like recommend going to uni if you're going to end up with something that you know that you're going to do at the end completely of it. agree now, now yeah because you're spending you're spending so much money on it maybe back then we had the freedom to you know broaden our skills in such a uh, broad topics on subjects but now I don't feel like we have that luxury anymore no I completely agree with that I think there's been a lot of change with we've got so I was doing um I yeah. did the MSc um physiotherapy course which um was also funded at the time um which mm. now I know like things are things are very much different now and it's not the case and then I absolutely love what I do but that definitely plays like a factor a factor into it um so like we're very much wanting people to be sure that's I think that's another reason why we're doing this is because we want people to definitely have the experience and maybe go and like shadow people first if they want to get into these professions but there's also like apprenticeship schemes there's other routes to get into these professions that don't necessarily mean you have to definitely like go to uni to be able to do it which is definitely coming out more Mm -hmm. now which wasn't necessarily there maybe when we were doing it yeah I think that's so important like I'm really really trying to encourage like even if you're an allied health professional who works or has a time where they spend in a school maybe if you're a community therapist trying to outreach as much as possible there and be present and be representative because I think young people don't know what options are out there for them and and I think yeah it's really important and after you've done a degree already nowadays people can't afford to then have the luxury to go and do an MSc mm-hmm. or the conversion and stuff so yeah we need more we need more of our HP we do from early on Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing now? What's your current job role? Yeah, so like I said, I qualified last year, but I've had a bit of a like a bit of everything because I'm very indecisive and I just love everything. Um, so currently, I'm working in a complex needs special school uh, in Northwest London. I just started a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm new to that role. Yeah, it's my first pediatric position as well. But prior to this, I was working in um, adult neuro rehab um, and then prior to that I was actually a speech therapist in Cambodia for four months wow. on, a pro- on a project so it's been a short but long time of being an NQP my current role is um, yeah amazing and it's it's a bit complicated at the moment because of COVID their procedures with the students coming back into school but we're still able to thankfully go in and uh, interact with the students and do sessions uh socially distanced session yeah. I mean the procedures at my school are like really on point at the moment like there's zones and there's like uh you know a one-way system mm-hmm. and 50% of the school was in and then 50% of the school coming next week and yeah so they're handling it really well yeah and you've touched on the fact that your year has been a bit like since you qualified it's been pretty manic but we touched on it at the start but you are also yeah. a fellow podcaster and oh yeah yeah so that's also must have been because that started this year so you've added that yeah. to the mix um so yeah your yeah. your podcast is called slt time yeah yeah do you mind just yeah. like telling us a little bit about how that got started yeah absolutely so slt time um it basically instigated from a sort of prolonged feeling of uneasiness from when I was a student, from when I was a speech therapy student. There were a lot of things that sort of came up on the curriculum or that I had experienced on placement or had spoken to uh, people who are from ethnic minority backgrounds um, who were just didn't sit right with us. There were things that <clears throat> weren't either not touched upon or not touched upon appropriately um, or not in- enough in much detail. And that was mainly around um, cultural competency, mm. uh, working with patients and families from uh, ethnic minority backgrounds, our engagement with them, our, our frameworks are very sort of white norm mm-hmm. and we're not really thinking outside of the box with that and I, you know I had these feelings as a student but you know you're so busy studying and trying to pass yeah. as a speech therapist <laughs> I'm not like I didn't really engage in it as much then um, and then once I qualified, um, I was a bit more confident after ha- gain- gaining some more experience in sort of instigating these conversations. 
Um, and then, of course, the Black Lives Matter movement, um, the death of George Floyd and the things that happened over this year were really triggering and really upsetting. And news was just really difficult to watch. And I think it was a uh, spark moment for a lot of people, including myself, mm-hmm. where it was how long can we sit uncomfortably about something and not actually do something about it? Mm-hmm. Um, and luckily, I wasn't alone in that in that feeling in the speech therapy world. In the speech therapy world um it would help if I could speak as a speech therapist <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah and so it's sort of organically um a bunch of other speech therapists who are also from ethnic minority backgrounds um banded together we uh networked via twitter and we all kind of agreed you know something needs to be done and uh obviously it was the quarantine so a lot of podcasts were being formed anyway so yeah. that idea kind of came to came to our mind um yeah and so just kind of from there we decided you know what we need a space where black and ethnic minority speech therapists can talk about their experiences that was the original aim you know just providing a space for for us to speak about things that are real and that are happening and that we are not okay with um and now we're sort of moving in the direction of okay you know we've these are the personal experiences they're out there for people to listen to what are we going to do about it who is it that we need to bring onto our podcast that that is able to provide change um so bringing in leaders bringing in our white colleagues um so that we can have these conversations with them and yeah so that's kind of where um SRT came from and is going um but we've had a really great response from it it's been really incredible project and um we've had lots of really amazing responses from like the SLT world um and it's just been a really get- great excuse to network with lots of different speech therapists like there was this first year undergraduate speech therapy student who contacted me and she was like you know we came across your podcast and um i just want to say like how inspired I am and like you know I wear a headscarf and I've been feeling I've had this in this experience and um you know listening and seeing you guys has just made me feel really motivated and you know like I'm part of it like I will be graduating into a community instead of feeling really isolated which is how I'd sort of been feeling until now and she just says some really oh. really really sweet stuff and it just makes you feel like oh like, this is worth it's all it. worth like, it yeah like, you know it's tough work but it, it's you know I'm glad that we're involved and that these conversations are happening now and we're able to provide this space and network for BAME therapists. No definitely and I think um, both Joe and myself have with everything that's been happening recently and um, being being a black physio myself it's definitely like touched home a bit more and I think both of us have definitely started to become more a bit more like vocal or at least being a lot more present and feeling a bit more comfortable having these conversations and um I know for myself personally like trying to get involved more in my trust about um equality diversity and inclusion and um talking to other therapists about these issues and actually I think the conversation part I think very much was like we're having these conversations we're having these conversations and it's like yeah it's really good that we're having these conversations and now it's like so what we're going to do about it it's like it's that it's that next stage and I think we're heading towards that next coming up with solutions to make changes and as you said, we're getting leaders in our field involved and having these conversations and other podcasts are springing up. Obviously, you had um, Rachel Moses' um, AHP yeah. Leader podcast series about it. Um, you featured on there, yeah. didn't you? Yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> Shameless plug. <laughs> like, oh. Podcast queen. <laughs> you know I mean? uh, no, yeah, no, but I think it's because we need... I think you also um, show a good example of like younger leadership in the sense of um, you've only just qualified and you're a year in, but you're making changes and standing up for things that you believe in, which I think if anyone else was to like listen to this podcast, who was one, a, a person of colour and thinking of joining our professions, just knowing that you can, you can make changes and pe- you are starting to be heard and um you will have these support systems in place because the people who are currently in those positions are fighting for for that to happen. Yeah, definitely. And and I think um, that when, especially students, hear somebody who is a bit more closer to them on the spectrum or on the banding, it's a little bit more relatable. Like, it's quite easy to listen to a lot of CEOs and leaders be like, you know, this is the situation, this is what we're trying to do. But as a student, that's still very far-reached and like it's, it's still a bit, 
like you're not you're not involved in it and so I think what is really important for me is encouraging the students and the new NQPs to have the confidence to be able to do that from the beginning because to be honest what's in place already uh, in in the higher levels and that is kind of there yeah what, the real change I believe is going to come from the new generation of AHPs and I think that like everything that what you guys are doing and what we're trying to do with SLT as well is just instilling that confidence and um, showing that these this new younger cohort of people that will be graduating that there is a space for this now we've opened up that door you just need to come through it and like um, yeah just again that confidence I think is so necessary I think you're so right mm-hmm. like as you say it's easy to sit there and think about all the people up there who are so important and have all the power but it shows that mm-hmm. we actually we like we have the responsibility and the opportunity to shape the way that our professions are going and, and the, the values that we want to make sure are, are really brought forward with with our careers going on forward. So. Yeah, exactly. And mm-hmm. actually, interestingly enough, this podcast is going to be released kind of in the, um, the lead up to AHP's day. And yeah. they have a theme or they have multiple themes so one of the themes is like celebrate appreciate and inspire but one of the bigger ones um for this time is connecting so i think podcasts are quite big on the agenda this year mm. and um because they're seen as such a useful way of getting messages out to people and getting um our point um across and i think well yeah. joe and i have already given a little bit of feedback in terms of how we've been um managing doing our podcast and the things that we've learned but do you have any um maybe anything that you've learned kind of starting SLT time from a podcasting point of view, some, some tips mm-hmm. in that sense. Yeah. I mean, it's been complete trial and error with us at SLT time. Same obviously. here. It's just been, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we sort of, we just jumped, we just jumped into it out of like sort of desperation for the space. Um, it was just a complete response to the lack of anything yeah. pre-existing. Um, but as we progress, so we're now onto our second season. So I think altogether now we have seven episodes. Um, and I think from a podcasting perspective, um, the structure of it is so vital. It's 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 really easy to have conversations. There's, that's the easy part. Um, what are you going to do with those conversations? How will you uh, summarize the points that were made in that conversation and then have an action plan from it at the end of your episode? Like, I think that that's the take home message that at the end people would have listened to an hour review, but actually it's the last couple of minutes that they're going to remember. Yeah. Um, and so I think we're trying to really make sure that at the end of every episode, we've got a take home message or a take home action that you can do after listening. And I also think that um, making sure that you've structured the questions for the guests that you've got on the episode, I like, considering their role their position their experiences um just making sure that you're able to get that much information out for them i mean there's a lot of like you said there's a lot of podcasts and stuff going around now mm-hmm. what is it that you can tease from that person you're chatting to that is unique to this episode that they're going to be in yeah are you that's from our podcasting experience things that we're trying to work on ourselves because a lot of the time well, i mean we're speech therapists we can chat for days <laughs> uh, but a lot of the time, it's kind of like, why? Why are we? Why are we having this conversation? What's the? What's it gonna amount to? Because we can all ride the personal experience change till the cows come home. But what? Uh, what is going to come from that? So yeah, that's kind of what I want to see all these podcasters striving towards uh, us as well. So true. Action is key. So moving on to our next section. Um, in the second section, we um, have been discussing with the people we're interviewing um, the COVID pandemic and how their roles um, and responsibilities changed during the pandemic. So finding out whether they um, their job changed altogether, whether they were redeployed or how they're affected. So it'd be great to know just sort of your experience of, of the pandemic in your job. Yeah. Um, so I had a bit of a turbulent COVID experience. Um, my father actually passed away at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, oh, bless you. He had a lot of some other illnesses. Um, and then I think it was COVID related towards the end, but it was very, very early days. So they weren't really sure at the time. But yeah, so that happened and it was a bit difficult for me to go back to work. Um, I think... Uh, 
as well, a lot of my colleagues and friends um, had all been redeployed and were all working on the front line. And I actually found that really difficult to observe because I felt really guilty that I wasn't able to do that during that time. Um, so, I mean, obviously in retrospect now, I can, I, can never, I can never have done that. I was not emotionally or mentally ready to Absolutely. be there in that space. No, no. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think for a lot of um, healthcare professionals who did experience loss and grief over the COVID period, who might not have been able to go and be on the front line and, and redeploy and work um, were probably battling similar feelings. Um, yeah. So I've been quite open about talking about it because I, I feel like it's important to acknowledge that, you know, we, we wanted to, like, we're all healthcare workers, we all love helping people, but there were people who weren't able to do that. And some people are shielding, some people are dealing with different things. So um, just to, I mean, if you're listening to this and that relates to you, then it, just know that, you know, you're not alone and that that's okay. Um, and that everyone's COVID experience is different. Um, but yeah, I mean, so that was in, like quite early on, that was like March, uh, April time. And then when I was ready to start working again slowly, I found it. Um, so when I was qualifying, I always thought I'm going to go into a queue. I, I, I love working in a hospital. This is like hospitals, my dream. And I was working in a hospital with my adult uh, position, uh, like once a week, I was based in a hospital. And I found it really difficult to go back into the hospital afterwards. Um, and so actually my whole career change is as a result of everything that's happened in COVID. Um, mm -hmm. But it's for the best in retrospect. I'm really happy where I am now. I'm finding out actually that I'm more happy now than I was then um, in, in those acute jobs. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, so when I was working in adult community before my current job and I got back into working, it was all teletherapy and it was all online communication groups and uh online assessments and it was strange to uh jump into that after especially after my like sort of two months of not doing anything um but I loved it like honestly I embraced teletherapy and online working wholeheartedly I'm a big tech nerd um I, <laughs> I love like things online and I love um doing all this like virtual stuff um I also think it was like really necessary because a lot of people, a lot of adults and a lot of people who are in adult services might not have had the opportunity to brace this like technical era um, yeah. if it wasn't for the lockdown. And 100%. I mean, yeah, and technical skills are like vital um, now and they will be in the future increasingly. So it, it was a bit of a harsh way to throw a generation that might might have been avoiding it um into sort of forcing them to use their tech skills i mean most of my um isolation was spent like you know this is this is the mute button this is, this is <laughs> yep this is, yeah 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 no, now you're sharing screen yeah we don't want to see that <laughs> like that was pretty much my whole june july um but i i really like a lot of like when we got feedback and stuff so in my old job we had a weekly communication cafe um, and so it would be, there was like 30 people that would tend. So they were all uh, stroke patients who were in neuro rehab in the community. Um, so they would all come with various varying levels of communication difficulties. And we'd just have a chat, we'd do a quiz, we'd break out into smaller groups and have different topics for the week. And uh, it was just so nice. Like the feedback people got, feeling more confident using a computer and the fact that they were feeling really anxious and had lots of anxiety over the quarantine, but, you know, mm. using the cafe and using Zoom and stuff has allowed them to, you know, connect more and uh, um, meet new people still, even during yeah. the period of not leaving your house. And so, yeah, that, I mean, that was something really, really vital that I think speech therapists were doing during the coronavirus. A lot of them were trying their hardest to carry on working with their social communication and interaction goals and skills but virtually being um fairly newly qualified um you know working for a year how did you find that transition of, of working with patients virtually because I feel like I mean I, I don't know I've, I've sat in in a few speech and language therapy assessments but my sort of understanding is that if I was trying to do yeah. what they're doing I'd want to be like really quite close and being able to hear what yeah. was going on and really see what they were doing yeah so I, 
how did you how did you find like doing that virtually exactly I mean that was when it first became a thing that everything was going to be teletherapy the speech therapy world on twitter like was going crazy they were like how can we build connections and rapport without being face to face you know people who who were doing face to face were like how can they read my lip cues and facial expressions when i'm wearing a mask and you know i mean our, our whole thing is about using utilizing every part of you for communication so yeah i mean people were going crazy about it personally i completely embraced it because um, I haven't actually had, like you said, I think maybe me being uni qualified was a benefit because I wasn't so set in my ways. Um, I had tried and worked in so many different settings, uh, doing different types of things that actually just doing something new wasn't so overwhelming. It was very much just like, oh, this is like a new placement or this is just, you know, new job. Yeah. yeah, I'm just hopping around experiencing things. Um so yeah I loved it and you know there are quite a lot of speech therapists who have been trying to push the whole online working virtual world thing for a while who weren't getting as much traction and now they, they all came to the forefront and they were like everybody relax like you know we've been doing it for a while it exists it's possible stop stressing like you know here are some t- apps that we use here's how you can do this like, don't worry it's possible I mean it is difficult nothing's the same as being face to face and having that interaction with somebody um but it's not um, completely, doesn't put you at complete disadvantage. There is a lot I that you can do. I completely agree. So I'm, I work in outpatients um, in, like, in pelvic health and we are doing majority of our um, appointments now virtually. Yeah. And there was initial kind of like, oh, oh, you had it from patients being just like, wait, so you're not going to, you're not going to touch me. It must have been much no, easier for you guys than it was for us. because at least From a physio know. point of view, it's definitely a bit of a struggle. But like, it, again, it was one of those where all, all the red tape all of a sudden got removed from, mm-hmm. from issues of, oh, can you do virtual calls and do patients have to come in for every session? And we very much found that we can achieve and are still getting really good outcomes doing yeah virtual appointments um it's allowing a lot more time for like flexibility for patients they're able to um they can either sometimes like in between meetings like they'll be able to like have um, their virtual appointment and they there's a lot more flexibility I think and I think yeah there was definitely that initial fear about it I think we're definitely embracing and also it's just like everywhere's more electronic and, and tech savvy it's about time that like exactly. the That's how I NHS and everyone like kind of got on board with that That's how I've I got, got to ask can you do a virtual swallow assessment you can yeah I mean obviously you won't be able to physically feel sort of you know elevation of the larynx and stuff but yeah there's I mean most of the time our dysphagia assessments are like observation um yeah. and watching um any sort of response to how they eat so we'd, we'd like we'd just watch them having a meal over Zoom. Um, we'd ask them to prepare, or the family or the carer, to prepare a range of textures that we can mm-hmm. observe them eating. Um, and we, you, you get a lot of information and observational. And if you're working in learning disabilities, most of the time you wouldn't be touching them um, for a dysphagia assess- for a swallowing assessment anyway, because yeah. they wouldn't be able to tolerate that. So my experience from learning disabilities is, all of my dysphagia uh, assessments were observational and from reports and speaking to the family about if they've seen any signs or any concerns. Um, so it Don't mean to put you on the spot. But do you mind just um, explaining what dysphagia is? Yeah, I realised after I said that. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so dysphagia is the term that we use for um, eating and drinking disorder. So something that is uh, either neurologically or physiology, physiologically wrong with your swallow. Just, just clearing that up for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to add about the fact that obviously with everything that you went through through COVID, first of all, complete like props to you. And I think especially the bit where you were talking about the fact that you were seeing everybody else on on the front line and not necessarily being able to to be there yourself and having that kind of feeling of why I I want to do something. I'm not I'm not doing something but yeah. you were doing something that's the thing I think we've yeah. had that and we tried to I think we did a post about it um on our Facebook page about everyone who wasn't necessarily like clinical at the time just like the amount 
we wouldn't have been able to do half that stuff without all the people who weren't who who weren't necessarily being clinical like everyone was on the front line at that time um yeah I know at the time it doesn't feel like that and I, I I'm sure a lot of people probably felt the same but yeah you're right I mean we were all sort of supporting each other I was speaking to a lot of my colleagues who were on the front line or redeployed and um you know just chatting to them and and that was useful for them and um yeah I mean just staying engaged with everything that was happening as well but yeah I think it was really important to acknowledge the people who were behind the scenes but doing things still with their hearts and their their minds and their intention I think but we're, we're all the reason we're all in healthcare is because we just want to help people so see exactly not, not being able to go and do that that skill that you've trained for for me was really like dehabilitating and really unsettling but I got over it eventually yeah and you're doing you're doing what you're doing now and you're helping lots of people and yeah. that's what really matters to be yeah. honest thanks guys yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no worries okay so the next section is our recurring section called the three fives Mm -hmm. so I'm gonna be asking you the first question so this question I might need to phrase a little bit differently because it's like when you qualified where did you see yourself in five years time I guess it's still appropriate where do you see yourself in five years time yeah so um when I qualified I saw myself working in a queue in a hospital um thinking like working clinically um, but I think now I see myself going down a PhD research route. Um, I'm really interested in doing a clinical research fellowship uh, with the NIHR mm-hmm. um, and going down that route. There's a lot of topics that I feel need to be researched in terms of cultural competency, um, working with ethnic minority families, of course, probably that's the only thing I talk about. So yeah, all of, <laughs> all of those things um, that I feel like we talk a lot about and we run and we we like to say personal experiences but there's only so far that that our personal experiences can take us in this conversation um there is a point at the end where it needs to be like show me the stats that changing the way I practice is going to benefit this family who are from a war-torn country like there needs to be work going in there and and I'm yeah I'm, I'm, I'm getting to the point where I feel like that's where I want to go to back all of the work that I've been laying the foundations for this year no that sounds amazing and that's that's like the first answer we've had for that question where it's <laughs> not just like either I'm going into like more leadership roles or yeah. I'm <laughs> gonna be like uh, a band-aid yeah. it's like it's good to know and like good to show the variety at which we can do leadership I, I feel like uh, <laughs> I, I feel like uh, I like being a people's person I, I like no I get that at this level where I'm relatable I, I don't want to be given more responsibility or or like I don't know <laughs> leadership not for me no I get that <laughs> I get that and obviously at the moment you are doing the kind of the, the telecare stuff and like would you if you weren't doing what you're doing at the moment, would it would it be the research role or where would you be working? Um, yeah, so I was doing the tele stuff. Now I'm back in schools. Um, oh, okay, sorry. Yeah, so because of my new job, just the last few weeks, um, <laughs> which is great because it's great being off teletherapy. Even though I loved it, it's really nice being back face to face. Yeah. Um, so do you mean like if I wasn't a speech therapist or do you mean if I was a speech therapist in a different role? Now I'm tempted to ask for both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you you brought it up so yeah maybe maybe a bit of both <laughs> yeah I mean if I wasn't a speech therapist um I definitely see myself so I learned about a new AHP uh well I don't know if it's new but I just learned about it psychotherapy mm-hmm. uh, so we've got one of those in my school and uh I've been speaking to him and I've just been blown away by like some of the stuff he says and the work that he does and the way that the students just love him and just mm. really like uh, have created a safe space around him and I just think it's really nice to see and um so yeah if I wasn't a speech therapist I might consider going down a psychology or psychotherapy route um yeah definitely <laughs> or mm. I'd probably end up in like policy making or something because I like to fight people and uh, <laughs> and, cause, and cause fights online so yeah maybe that route <laughs> <laughs> amazing amazing um so the next of our questions is we'd love to know five things that you didn't know about speech therapy before either starting your job or starting your your uni course yeah so I mean like I said before I didn't know much before I started my course um but 
I definitely didn't know that speech therapy had anything to do with eating and drinking disorders, with swallowing. I had no idea until, honestly, I had no idea until I started the course that that was a thing. Yeah. Um, I like I had no idea that I would have to go through all this anatomy and physiology and all of this biomed stuff to do with that in the beginning of the, like, that was completely new to me. Um, I also probably would say that I wasn't prepared for the lack of diversity that we have as a profession. Um, I was one of maybe five people of colour um, in a class of almost 100, uh, yeah. or like 90-something. Um, that was shocking to me. Um, my linguistics class was way more diverse than my speech therapy co- cohort, um, which I thought was interesting. I think um, not a lot of people from ethnic minority backgrounds from from discussions I've had would think to apply a lot of these skills that they have clinically um which is um, yeah why that there's a definitely a, a lack of representation um I mean coming like m- my family you'd say you're in healthcare and they'd be like oh you're a doctor like, yeah, same. Oh, <laughs> yeah you're a doctor or nothing um before I started the course um I would say that um I did not expect to have people talk to me about the king's speech as much as they do um, i was gonna mention that but then i was like oh if i mention it i'm gonna be one anybody, of those people anybody i speak to oh you're a speech therapist oh so you do stuff like king speech you know what he does you know what he does with king speech is actually really specialist like i wouldn't be able to go and help somebody with their disfluency or their stammer because i've not had that extra training <laughs> so that's not all speech therapists are anything like king speech which is really interesting um yeah how many was that that was three so what else um that I didn't know before I started studying I didn't know that I would be really interested in research or that I would enjoy it um I have always liked studying but I mean research was always so overwhelming for me um I found like reading especially medical journals and stuff really difficult but they are hard they are yeah I mean when you're doing it on the course to pass it's so not interesting but now like like I love it I love reading all these research papers and like doing all of this expanding my skills and stuff like that but I think it I think it's different when you see and read papers and then you can see it yeah like exactly you then see it in your patients and you can see the difference and then you're just like I get it I get it now Mm. like because it's motivating for you and that's why you want to learn about it so yeah that's something I didn't know either um I find the information in it really interesting but what kills me is the stats yeah um, like looking at paper and there's all these numbers and letters and I think oh yeah that that right. sounds good we've been doing some uh, training this week on stats and That's it's good. been bringing back into my mind all these words like uh, in a range what is it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. don't ask me <laughs> see that that session went well didn't it <laughs> <laughs> I clearly yeah, I clearly learned I don't listen to this <laughs> I know like that that whole statistics module we had on the course over my head but I mean ironic because I said that I'm now interested in going down a PhD route but mm-hmm. we'll see I'll have to pick that up quick <laughs> um yeah and I think maybe the last thing would be I probably wasn't prepared um for how like emotionally and mentally and physically draining the course was um I think any allied health profession course is um I wasn't like prepared for that I thought that would be like you know it's it's just it's just an allied health profession it's it's not medicine you know it's it's not like I'm doing like a whole biomed thing like but I mean gosh I was like I needed a three-month break after (laughs) after all of that it was after my first year that summer holiday was so necessary it was it's so intense and yeah I think it was important to learn how to look after yourself as a study any any allied health profession for sure yeah and I think it's and well again with this podcast we're trying to like we don't want to like scare people off from doing these professions but it's also just to be like they are the they're so important that they require that time yeah so as much as you think that like a a a doctor or you would feel like yeah like a doctor or even different professions look at like lawyers and that people seem to put in like really high regard and the amount of training and the years that they spend to do it yeah um we're doing that like it very much is very mentally and like sometimes emotionally draining but that's because that's what 
if we want to achieve and do the best and give exactly. the best for our patients, we need to have that that training. We need to have that kind of that that background. We need yeah. to we need to learn that. So it's like it's I think it's key to show people that we're we're just as important. It's one of those. It's like we're just as important. Yeah. We are just as clinically sound. Exactly. And um, yeah, we're we're good. What can yeah. I say? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly, exactly. <laughs> we don't want to put people off, but just know that it is hard work, but it's worth it. <laughs> yeah, it's worth it. That's it. Yeah, it's worth it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Now it's talking about five things you enjoy about your job. Um, yeah, I love being a speech therapist. I love um, building rapport with patients and students and with their families and being able to have those conversations and really work with them, which is which is also why I like community work because I like having that long term relationship with them and seeing really seeing somebody grow and develop and have really positive outcomes. Um, yeah, I really love sort of the face to face element of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I also just really love like how diverse like be, uh, my days are being a speech therapist. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, like I said, one day I'll be doing. An, um, an assessment to see how well a student is using a, his communication device and then the next day I'll be seeing uh, like how well this child is able to manage their lunch and like the day after that I'll be chatting to the parents and the day after that I'll be training teachers like every day is different um I love that I love that so much um I also really enjoy just sort of like happy endings like I love outcomes and results mm. I love it mm-hmm. when you see the fruit of your work and and you see somebody who's really been engaging with you and actually get better and improve and um you know uh d- like help deal with their impairment and stuff and I mean not just like you know their impairment got better but I also really enjoy seeing confidence um yeah. rise in patients and students um families com- connecting more as a result of therapy like we do a lot of work with like social communication and um your interactions with people and I think when you do that group work with a family it's like really special because you're you're really helping that bond with them and you can see it um, and, and yeah. it means a lot to them um I also really love like how MDT we like how we all work together as allied health professionals um, yeah agreed yeah and I really love it because we have so much to learn from each other and and when we work together it's like amazing like great things happen like it's just great and we've all got such amazing experiences and skill sets and when you put that all together for one patient or one student like amazing things can happen basically (laughs) people need to understand about each other's roles exactly and I love meeting people who are in different um, healthcare professions to me and just finding out what they do. And so, like I said, I met this psychotherapist the other day and I was like, mind blown. We had a whole meeting this morning actually about how we can work together with our students. And like, you would never think, you know, speech therapist and a psychotherapist in a room, like, you know, um, so it's great. I mean, maybe you would think that, but I would never have thought that. <laughs> um, and I think also, I just love um, the community, like the speech therapy community. I love networking in the speech therapy world um it was it was difficult at first because I didn't really meet people who I related with being from an ethnic minority Mm -hmm. background um like I said majority of speech therapists are from like white middle class backgrounds um so I found it quite difficult at first but then once I got involved with all the the stuff that we spoke about before it was like a floodgates had opened and all of these people were reaching out and all these people were engaging and we've got like a little like whatsapp groups and like we've got like this community mm-hmm. we've got this community now and we've sort of forced our royal college of the rcslt to um make a bame networking forum on their website yeah. so we all got other stuff um yeah so yeah i say forced <laughs> um <laughs> the role model yeah. now. but it's great i mean i i love meeting speech therapists are just really lovely people generally um it's hard to not get along with one um so yeah, that's what I really like the community of speech therapy that I've now graduated into. So our last question is, um, what would you tell people, students, um, who are thinking about becoming a speech and language therapist? Any top tips? I mean, I think like we briefly touched on it before, but my main message to any potential speech therapy 
students would be don't be afraid to like challenge the status quo I learning is a two-way experience you are equally bringing experiences and perspectives into the profession just as much as your practice educators and lecturers are teaching you theory and and about how it and about how things work now and frameworks I think acknowledging the power you have in that dynamic is really important as a as an NQP as a student um, because only then will you appreciate the diversity of of yourself and and then incorporate that clinically like like um, knowing that you know you speak a language that that's going to be so beneficial to you working in a bilingual working with a bilingual family utilize that um don't be afraid to utilize that because it's not what you're taught is the norm to work in clinically Uh, or or even um you know you come from this particular country or you've had this experience and you're working with a family who's also had that experience or a religious Mm -hmm. experience use that talk about that what like you know create your goals around that like why can't we do that um I'm gonna go into it into a culture rant again but like um (laughs) like why can't we be creating culturally adequate goals in our clinical clinically we're not taught that at uni but yeah but you know we should be basically yeah and and so my take home to potential speech therapy students is, is to just think like that and 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 bring that up because you mean your le- your lecturers will appreciate it like you might feel like you know oh I don't want to overstep or I don't know what I'm talking about but actually you do and somebody in the class is waiting for you to to make that comment um and your lecturer is waiting for you they're not doing it because there's no evidence and they don't and they don't know how to approach breach that topic but yeah I mean just have the confidence to bring everything out onto the table as a student you have lots of power yeah that's so good <laughs> really really enjoyed that thank you so much yeah, thank you for joining guys. us Lydia. I hope you enjoyed it I, I think before with the other um, people we've interviewed they've been like reflecting on like their whole career and like mm. thinking about like the many years that they've been doing it but yours is still new but there's been so much that's happened in that yeah. small time we hope you've enjoyed actually just having a look back and Definitely. thinking about where you've come definitely but I really enjoyed also just the prospect of what's to come like talking about it with you guys like like you said like I mean these other people that you've had have probably had years to talk about but I'm we we, we, us between us we've been speaking about oh like you know we can do this and you know future speech therapists and what what can we do now like research and stuff so yeah I've really enjoyed reflecting what's to come it's so exciting there are so many options for all of us in our careers so watch this space and that is the end of the podcast Thank you so much for tuning in. We really hope that you've enjoyed listening as much as we've enjoyed recording it. We've got plenty more podcasts to come, so please do subscribe to our channel if you have enjoyed it. And if you're interested in hearing more about Ilya and the podcast that she's running, we'll put her Twitter handle as well as a link to her podcast, SLT Time, in the episode bio along with our social media. So thank you again and bye for now. <laughs>